So listen, I'm really excited today. I'm really, really excited because this is a special podcast. And the reason it's a special podcast is because we got the amazing chance to speak to two people this week. Um, we spoke to um, Tim Rich, um, uh, who has written a book about Bielsa called The Quality of Madness and Life of Marcelo Bielsa. He's a writer for The Independent, uh, The Daily Mail and, and amongst other publications. Um, and he was generous enough to give us his time to, um, to talk about some of the kind of... Uh, I guess the things that are hard to reach, the, um, the, the the bits and bobs about Marcelo Bielsa that we kind of are guessing at. Um, now, he has done an amazing job of kind of like delving right into the very earliest parts of uh, Marcelo Bielsa's career, um, documenting what he's been up to, um, his thought patterns, the people he's affected, um, right up until um, basically now. Um, his book, The Quality of Madness, is available, obviously, to buy. But he was generous enough to give us some of some of our ti- some of his time. Sorry, to um, to really, he allowed us to, to to choose whatever questions we wanted to ask, and he and he did a really great job in in, in answering those. So um, that's really really exciting. And then um, we've got a kind of like short snippet of of, a, of an interview I did with. Um, a South American writer about Marcelo Bielsa, um, just so we can get a real feel for what's happening here, what's happened there. And again, there's some really interesting little um, snippets of information that um, I think release a lot more than you would imagine. So here we are. This is what we're doing. Um, And yeah, so let's get straight in with Tim Rich. Okay, um, we posed to him several questions. Obviously, being in isolation, it's very, very difficult. Um, he's, he's a man with a timetable, he's a man with a schedule. And so what we did was we posed some questions to him and he very, very generously offered these um, answers back to us um, to give us a little bit of insight. So the first question I asked him was, can you just please summarise your book for us? First of all, um, Stuart, thank you very much indeed for... Um having me on the um, Leeds United podcast uh, to talk about uh, The Quality of Madness, which is uh, the first English-language biography of Marcello Bielsa. There's been a couple in Spanish, there's been a couple in French, but this is the one that really tells his story and his family's story from their beginnings in Rosario in northeastern Argentina, uh, all the way through to his second season at Leeds United and how that uh, second season at Leeds United will conclude is in the lap of the gods. But it's a, it's a book that tries to put Bielsa in various places, in, in South America, in um, Mexico and, uh, and in Europe and finally here, here in, the, in the English football in Yorkshire. So... Uh, that is fairly straightforward summary. But then I said to him, you know, why did you feel the need to write a book about Bielsa? I felt... When you start to write a book or you have an idea for a book, you do some research on it and you get more and more and more drawn in. And when, um, for example, the the last book I did was a story of Manchester City in the uh, 1990s, when they were basically relegated from the first to the third divisions. Uh, And as you delved into it, you think, I can't believe a club was run as badly as that, particularly a club that is now after world domination. And so when... um, it was announced that uh, Marcello uh, Bielsa will be coming to Leeds United. I did some sort of research and uh, spoke to people about him, and that drew me further and further in. He, he, he is 
if he wasn't a football manager, he would still be an extraordinary person. He would still be doing something, whether that was um, film directing, which he's very interested in, or whether that would be a politician like his brother and his sister. And the more I, the more I delved into his life, the more compelling the the uh, story is, and it's it's something that. I think you know it. It, it would it appeals to more than just fans of Leeds United or Marseille or the other clubs he's managed. I think it's a story that appeals to a far wider world beyond football. So I guess what Tim's saying there is that he's an enigma, and whatever he put his hand to, he would be amazing at. And it's we've supposed that in the past, haven't we? I think we, we have, and we, we've sort of touched upon that. I think there are a number of things that, that Tim mentioned there that, for me, sort of stand out. There's this idea of an inherent genius and a desire for perfection um, that that's sort of underlying what, I guess, seems to fascinate Tim. But there's the fact that he comes from a very establishment family in Argentina as well. So Bielsa, who seems like the man that values the underdog, you know, in my mind, I was assuming that he was a bit of an underdog himself, coming from maybe a, you know, a poor family, rising through the ranks of Newell's old boys, and sort of um, coming into to the position that he is now. But the fact is, he's he's part of the establishment in Argentina, uh, and I think that's quite interesting. The other thing as well, and and I think this it's been a while that since we've had this at Leeds, is he's truly a global figure. And mm. we, we've touched upon in previous podcasts the idea that he may well be the manager's manager. He is one of those yeah. not just well-known people in football. Um, I, I would think to some degrees he's almost Jungian in that he's an archetype. So when managers and football people talk about the high press, the uh, overloading of wings, the, 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 sort of the, the tenements of the modern football style that we see Barcelona, we see Man City, we see Liverpool and a lot of other teams now beginning to emulate, actually at the core, the, the core archetype of that is Bielsa and and he is truly global and he's the Leeds manager at the moment and and we mm. couldn't say that when we had Heckingbottom or when we had mm. the Watermelon and we couldn't say that necessarily <laughs> even when we had, you know, Gary Monk or Simon Grayson, you know, it's that gets funnier every time you say. It. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? It's it's just uh, we're not that far away in terms of time since we were messing around with managers like that, and now mm. we have this global figure, this man who you know Tim Rich has alluded to would be a high flyer in whatever profession he decided to turn his hand at, who is from almost like the Argentinian social aristocracy, who mm. is in the game the manager's manager, who is an archetype of a style of football which everyone generally at the moment is saying we should be trying to progress our teams towards. And mm. he's ours. He's at Leeds. And he's stuck around. And, and you know, people are writing biographies about him. I go back to it. Mm. People... Apart outside of his family and his close friends, I don't think many people, and I'm quite down on Heckingbottom because he said some awful things about Leeds, actually. I don't think people are writing biographies about Heckingbottom. I might no. be wrong. And if I am, I'm not going to be seeing them at Waterstones. <laughs> I don't so know listen, where that came from. No, that unlocked uh, something. 
the thing for me, and again, I don't want to blow things out of proportion, but the thing for me there is that there was this allusion to um, narrative building. You know, mm. Bielsa's a story. He, he's a protagonist in a story, and wherever he goes, yeah. whatever he touches becomes part of this. You know, it, it, it's not that we're saying, oh, he's won 10 trophies in the last three years at his last well, club, and he won 15 yeah. trophies, whatever. But he represents something that's bigger than football. And, and yeah. sometimes I think what we do is, especially as Leeds fans, we, we look towards certain things that sum up the city and sum up the sentiment of what we want. So what what did David Batty win in his in his in his life as a footballer? Uh, you know, not not an awful lot, mm. but but I tell you mm. what, you know, he he represented something and I feel like we've it's been a very, very long time since we've had a manager that, that kind of represents something bigger. And now we've got this world famous Slightly nuts, slightly over the top, slightly OCD, mysterious, um, mm. gentle, rough, sweary, eloquent, mad mixture of this kind of like modern day footballing genius. It's in. He's got. He's got everything. He's got. He's got Leeds United in the palm of his hand. And and I think we will look back on this in years to come and say, what a story! What a story! Yeah, I think you're right. And and you know. I think it's safe to say we wouldn't be making a podcast if it wasn't for Bielsa. You know, we're just, we're just two blokes who just love talking about Leeds and we would talk about yeah. Leeds pretty much all day. And But yeah. it was Bielsa that took us beyond that point that made us think, you know what, our conversations about football are, yes, about the structures in which he's got Leeds playing. Yes, it's about the players that he's really improved <clears> and, and coached to a, a different level. Mm. But actually... Our conversations then led into deeper and wider philosophical matters, and, and I think that's what led us to this this podcast. Actually, it was uh, it was Bielsa that did that, uh, and and actually, I'm incredibly, you know, blown away by the fact that he actually came to Leeds. I think that was a surprise for a lot of people. Listen, mate, you know, I, I've I've been through the thick and the thin of it. You know, uh, I, a season ticket holder, I, I've seen tragedy, I've mm. seen hysteria, I've seen victory, I've seen us, I've seen everything, right? And I've always been this part-time philosopher that's tried to kind of sway people towards this way and that way and argue up and argue down and the rest of it. But the fact is this, that what we are living through right now, we never thought we would live through. Mm. We thought we would eke out an existence and hopefully someone will take pity on us and we get a half-decent manager that would attract half-decent players. There is a severe danger right now that in the next 18 months, we could go from being nowhere, possible League One fodder, to top six of the Premier and people saying, we can't play the game the way they play it. Mm. Mm. That is the most incredible story and I never ever thought that I would be I thought it'd take a decade to turn us around I thought it'd be slowly but surely and and I thought that we would still go through tribulation I think and I think there's something to say about the speed in which this is happening as well I think that's absolutely necessary I don't I think we've we've lingered and we've we've festered for for so long and you're right you know to (laughs) decades of supporting leads behind us and you know we're not trying to do anything other than just say, what does this all mean? This is mad. And this kind of um, world that's separate from football to do with philosophy and to do with the way that society runs and um, political commentary and the rest of it has just smashed together with this beautiful distraction. And so now football seems like 
literally everything. Mm. Yeah. That's where I'm at with it. Um, I don't, there isn't a minute that doesn't go by where I think to myself, you know, I, I, I wonder what's happening, going to happen next. I wonder who's who who's going to have the... I, I keep thinking about the honour of playing for Leeds and how for years I thought to myself, I'd just love to pull on a jersey, even if it was the last six minutes of a match, <laughs> just for someone to lump a ball into the box with me to try and get my head on Do it. Do job. But, <laughs> yeah. And I think about the jokers that have put the, the jersey on. Yeah. And I think about how they just, just didn't deserve yeah. it. But... I couldn't say anything at the time because, like, who else was there? Yeah. You know? Now, it's like, I feel like I'm a million miles away from it, but at the same time, right next to it. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's, it's, it's incredible. Well, I mean, the one Listen, thing you can guarantee is Bielsa would improve your footballing ability. <laughs> well, if he can get me to run in a straight line, the man is a genius. <laughs> well, let's, let's not um, over that. Let's let, not about me. Um, so when we were speaking to Tim we moved on to the next question which was which is quite an expansive one actually it's one that you put forward Um, and it was to do with Bielsa's ideological approach to the game and whether it's changed from the early days of when he got involved in uh, football to to now and has there been an evolution over time of Bielsa's focus and his ideology when it comes to football all football coaches develop their game or develop their tactics uh, as time goes on. What was striking about the way um, Bielsa's tactics have evolved is that they haven't actually evolved very much. If you speak to people who he coached at his first coaching job, was the University of Buenos Aires, where he put them through the most rigorously disciplined um, Training regime um, that is that we that of a professional football club, it hasn't really changed that much, um, and there are two reasons for that. One is that uh, it was very very much ahead of its time, um, particularly when he was doing it with uh, Newell's Old Boys winning the uh, the Argentinian Championship, and. It's now the things that, I mean, for example, when he was in managing Atlas Guadalajara um, in the Mexican Primera Division, he, um, his assistant manager said he developed 500 different tactical exercises that, um, that were absolutely unknown in Mexico at the time. And he got his wife to film the... His wife, who's a trained architect, to film the exercises and then distribute them around the, um, around the coaches, coaching staff. So his, his methods have not changed that much. I mean, some people's methods do change, uh, but Biel's, I think, has stuck to the sort of the plans that he first began devising at the University of Buenos Aires in about 1982. So that's interesting, you know, from the very early days of coaching university football up to obviously the professional standards that we we see now, um, his methods haven't changed. What do you make of that? Well, what I make of it is that, that actually he has an ideology and approach that he's completely and utterly wedded to. And there's a stubbornness that comes with that. But also, I guess what he's seen is that there is a way to improve players. And a Do you way think to that that is dangerous? Um, it's, you know, it's one of those things where it's been really frustrating when whenever Leeds have lost or if we've drawn games or if we've not scored as many goals as we need to. Um, people have been straight onto Twitter. It's some even calling for his head. 
mm. saying, "Oh, he's so he's so stubborn in in the way that he wants to play. He's got no plan B." And you know, he he famously responded to a question about, "Do you have a plan mm. B?" He said, "No, it's uh, I just do plan A, but better." Um, mm. You know, but but actually, I think um, Tim said something that that really interested me there, which was that. He's not changed because his methods were so ahead of their time. Now the thing mm, that seems like a bit of a yeah, it's, 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 it's it feels like a cliche, uh, and, and what it does what what it means is that um, is that it has um, issues around well what is it is it hitting the stride now is that is that yeah do you see what I'm saying like what what does that mean yeah for that? and for me I, th- I think actually like. Think about all the things that were ahead of their time but never were actually successful. Um, <laughs> and, and people don't talk about those things being ahead of their time. They're just sort of almost like failed experiments. So I, yeah. I remember for a while, you know, experimenting with a mullet. Um, <laughs> that mullet was not ahead of its time. It was a failed experiment. And, and if I'd have persisted wearing that mullet, um, I wouldn't have the life that I have now. Um, because mm. nobody would have given me employment and my wife would never have even deigned to go on a first date with me. Um, nobody would have been saying, well, that mullet that, that Simon's you know, wearing now, it was ahead of its time and that's why he stood Okay, let me, let me dig into the, the phrase ahead of its time. I think possibly what Tim Rich is saying is that um, your bog standard average managers are slightly behind the time and what they do is they they recycle previous um, mediocrity, um, and it gets all a bit stale. Whereas ahead of his time, I mean, he's being called by these professional writers mad, crazy, yeah. blah blah. The rest of it. So it might just be a lack of understanding. Um, it being appreciated in your own lifetime is kind of an artistic measurement of success, isn't it? Yeah, or, it, you know, it is. Yeah, and, and it feels a little bit like art, or a little bit like a post-structuralist kind of like I, I see what he's doing. Mm. It might not fit into that world, but what he's doing is perfect. But my 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 feeling is to t- sort of take that point further is that that him being ahead of his time was that quite quickly he saw within the framework of a football game with the rules that were there and with the growing level of um, fitness that professionalism was bringing, the growing level of um, natural ability, scouting networks, um, infrastructure around football, all of that, I think he hit upon this is the system in which I am going to make the machine of my team produce the very best results that they can with with what I've got. And, And... there was no need to change that. And, and I think that's where he was ahead of his time. I think he also saw and, and sees that football is entertainment. And the way that Bielsa's teams play it, are just hugely entertaining. I mean, the first ever time that I saw Bielsa's team play was when Bill Bow were teaching Man United a lesson. Mm. And it was absolutely fascinating to watch because I was sort of watching this game like, where have Bill Bow come from? How are they mm. playing this football? And it was just mm. stunning to watch. It was thrilling to to see them beat the scum, but but also at the same time the the intricacy of their play, the technical ability, the fire, the passion that the players had was was magnificent, and it was entertaining. And that is ultimately what football is. And so I think Bielsa sort of hit upon that very early on. You know, I feel sorry for his university fo- football team. You know, I played for yeah. my uni team. 
And, mm. you know, you, you'd go out the night before and then, you know, rock up to the next game having had like a little midweek kick around and the warm-up would be smashing the ball at the at the goalkeeper for a bit. Imagine, you know, Marcelo Bielsa then turning up and, and talking you through the intricacies of, of exactly where to stand on the left wing when the ball is at this phase of play. You know, it's it, interesting it because a, a what it does shot. as well... What what it does as well is that um, there's a certain heritage to English football that, that it feels really anti-English to be over-prescribed like that. Yeah. So I was admiring very much the other day some great pictures um, of Billy Bremner yeah. having a cup of tea and a fag at half-time. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so it feels really anti-British yeah. to, to kind of be really prescribed and really regimented. Yeah. And I guess what you saw there when you said you were looking at Bielsa's team take apart Manchester United was you were looking at you're looking at a team that was bucking the trend of how you know European football was happening at the time. Do you see Bielsa's approach as being hyper professional or unprofessional? I think it's hyper professional. I think particularly, and we find out a little bit more later on about his sort of mentality and 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 actually a little bit of the family in which he comes from because he's he's part of a family of of high achievers. I think it's mm. hyper professional, and and, yeah. and and I also say that because I think the proof is in the pudding in terms of the way he treats players who he didn't feel were on board with it, with that hyper professionalism, and okay. and I think he felt Pontus Janssen wasn't part of that. I think he felt Samu Saez wasn't necessarily part of that. And actually, to be fair, that's that's been borne out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and 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 yeah. and so I think there is a hyper professionalism that that he epitomises. So, for the next couple of questions, we kind of moved away a little bit from football in some ways, and 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 we were talking to Tim about the the character of Bielsa, you know, and and is Bielsa really this magnanimous friend of the people, or does he see that as a methodology or a conduit in which it helps him to function efficiently and make sure the machine of his team become really, really, as we've just said, hyper-professional? And, and makes the whole outfit just work more smoothly? Um, well, you, 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 see him every, oh, you see him every fortnight at, at Ellen Road doing, that, doing the walk through the crowds and signing autographs and giving lollipops to the, uh, to the kids. And, I th- and, 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 that, and that, I think, is fairly, fairly genuine. I think what you've got to remember when you talk about someone like Marcello Bielsa is that he is the grandson and the brother and of politicians and that mixing with or mixing with people is something that is second nature to him and um he is someone who has got remarkable reservoirs of um goodwill he is someone who um always i think um looks out for the underdog or looks out for the little people you know, he is not someone who particularly enjoys grand occasions or, you know, when um, Leeds got the FIFA Fair Play Award for um, um, the giving away the goal at, uh, against Aston Villa. He didn't send, you know, he sent uh, his captain and he sent his, his, uh, his um, uh, fitness coach. Um, and most people... 
I guarantee you in football, most people would have gone to that award in Milan, would have gone in a, in a, a dinner jacket, and they would have made a long speech about how great they were and how they emphasised all the values of fair play. Uh, but that's anathema to someone like Marcello Bielsa. He just um, uh, sent a letter um, that was read out at the ceremony in which he thanked Newell's old boys, his first club, as he always does, and he thanked his mother for teaching him the difference between right and wrong. There is, a, there is an absolute core streak of modesty and humility in the man. So we have argued quite fervently in mm. the past about who we think Marcelo Bielsa is in terms of his moral fibre yeah. and what he stands for. Um, I have said that he is kind of uh, almost a sensitive father figure that kind of nurtures the staff and nurtures the crowds and feels the hurt that comes with being disappointed but also forgives as much as he condemns. Um, and when I say condemns, I mean condemning himself, really. Yeah. Um, you have gone down the path of, and I'm not going to put words in your mouth, yeah. but saying that he's a bit more of a politician and he's willing to grease the wheels in certain ways that makes everything function that much more smoothly so that he can stand at the end of the kind of course and say, we got what we wanted. So Tim's Tim's kind of input there is fascinating. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about his family and yeah. and what you think that all means? Well, I, I guess ultimately, you know, it, it, the question is: is he the counsellor or is he the engineer? And and I think ultimately, I think if you and I we've we've decided to sort of pitch our tents at, at different sides of the of the battlefield and this debating point, I, I think. Ultimately, well, I think it's because um, it's, it's 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 what's in our hearts. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know I, I'm a very heart. generous. <laughs> I'm a very, I'm a very generous and giving person, whereas I think you are quite a cunning and um, unrelenting character. <laughs> and so you see, you see yourself, you project so, yourself. So Mar- Marcelo's just, just, just lifted a, a mirror to to us both. Um, how uncomfortable! <laughs> um, but, but, but I think in our actual heart of hearts I think we realise that actually he's a bit of, of both but I think it's worthwhile as looking at, at both sides of it because for, for me uh, I see a man who is part of the Argentinian establishment who is a very high achiever who is as Tim mentioned there he is the brother and the grandson of politicians and mm. what he's very capable of doing and what he seems to be very aware of through his his background, but also what I would also say is through the way that he's he's moved through his career, is knowing how to create a sense of the aura that improves the machine. And this is where I say the engineer. And you even use the term there in terms of like greasing the wheels. If mm. you know, Marcello Bielsa has has also famously said that um, you know if if you took the human element out of the game. If football was only played by robots, then he'd win every single time. You know. Yeah. So, so yeah. what? And I, I think that for me is fascinating. That to me is an engineer speaking. So, I have to look at everything he does, and and I've got this sort of slight tinge of suspicion. Not that this is a bad thing, and I'm not saying it's morally wrong. I think that's a separate conversation. I don't think there's anything morally wrong with Marcelo Bielsa, but my feeling is this benevolence this kindly old granddad figure that he shows himself when he's posing for selfies outside of Costa in Beeston and you mm. know handing lollipops out to children in the crowd and all of this sort of thing 
my feeling is and my suspicion is he does that in a very considered way because he knows that by doing this and by feeding into this he is further greasing the efficiency and the effectiveness of the machine whether it's by 0.1% or whether it's by 2% or whatever marginal gain because Marcelo Bielsa strikes me as a man who is extremely specific in his actions and his ways of working and and Tim Rich mentioned that in terms of he's not really deviated He's created plan after plan after plan for training schedules alone. You know, all of these sorts of things. And and to me, that sort of feeds into this. And so whenever anybody comes up with an example of him doing something that is that seems to feed into the, you know, the father figure, the benevolent figure, you know, this this man with this huge social conscience that wants to transform not just players, but their whole lives and all of this. It can feed into that, but it can also feed into the alternative perspective, which says, yeah, he's doing that to improve the efficiency of the machine, both of which are absolutely fine. They're both, you know, legitimate approaches. Uh, I, I'm, I'm sort of, I look at him and I see a man who is very, very considered in the way that he works. Yeah, uh, I, I, again, I think I think the jury's out mm. uh, it, because you will only, will only figure that out, I guess, at the end of of the of the of the course at the end of the the kind of test so you know so what i don't i don't if he turns around right at the end and says listen i didn't necessarily want to do that i didn't want to do this but we are where we are you know yeah. um, i didn't want to lose pontus but he wouldn't play ball so to speak yeah. um i don't know if he'll ever give that level of detail but you know i think when we lost to derby and we thought that he was going to leave that to me would have been would have fed into I guess your side of the theory a little yeah. bit more like the wheel like the wheels were coming off I don't want I don't keep using this extended metaphor of machines and wheels but <laughs> it's almost like it wasn't working mm. in the way that he wanted to work and we were used to it because it's like typical leads we we're like of course we lost in the semi semi final of the playoff after being after being a goal yeah up. of course did yeah. um um but to him it was complete disaster and yet. And yet it, there was still that feeling that underneath the surface, the subtext was there's this big story and he's writing it. And along the route, route we're going to have some uh, some ups and some downs. And, and when we get to the end, you'll get what you what you need, but you've got to stick with me. And there's just a little bit of that in there. You know what? I, um, I don't think we'll ever be able to resolve this. My feeling is Bielsa <laughs> will leave Leeds. He'll probably leave this life similarly to Iago, you know, at the end of Othello, <laughs> just with that line, from this time forth, I we'll will never speak very, a word. High. That was it. Yeah. And, and, that, and so we'd be like, he'll call that final press conference and we'll be like, this is yeah. it, this is where we'll find out. This is where Bielsa, you know, his final press conference, he'll, he'll be really He'll clear. say, thank you. <laughs> thank you for your time. Thank you, thank you, Leeds. I love the city. Uh, I hope you all the best in the future. Goodbye. From this time forth, I never will yeah. speak a word. Yeah. And, and adieu. So... So one thing on the back of that, one thing that was that I find really interesting is how much praise other managers lavish yeah. on Bielsa. So I asked Tim, what, "What do you think that Bielsa makes of all of these kind of like flattering to deceive almost um, levels of praise that he gets from other managers?" He is. I mean, there was. Um, I think one of the very striking things about. It, I mean, you know, a lot of people praise uh, Marcello Bielsa. In the way um, that a lot of people would say praise 
a lot of musicians would say these days would praise David Bowie or Roxy Music or, or those kind of bands who made it possible, who made the breakthroughs and maybe didn't have the record sales or certainly Roxy Music didn't have the record sales that they did, but who made the, who made it possible. So, all, so one of the most striking things was being in the press room at West Bromwich Albion on, in the New Year's Day game. Uh, which is one of all draws, you know, between uh, West Brom and Leeds, in which Slaven Bilic, um, who is a man who has achieved quite a lot and has, as he himself would admit, a very considerable ego, said it is astonishing you know, to be here with Marcello Bielsa. You know, you know he's read um, Bielsa's book, The Eleven Path to Goals, which is a, a tremendous tactical manual. Uh, for football coaches and football managers, and he said, "You know, I'm a, I'm a very, I'm very sure of myself." Uh, Billet said, "I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm not a modest kind of guy, but to be on the same pitch as Mar- as Marcello Bielsa, is really quite something." And so I think the, um, I think the praise for Bielsa is, is not so much because the trophies he's won, but because of that he he developed the the tactics and the style of football that is still being played today. He, and I think other managers, you know, the likes of uh, Pep Guardiola, who never played for uh, Bielsa, recognised the fact that he was an absolute uh, trailblazer um, in his profession. I always find it a bit unnerving when um, when other managers praise mm. teams and managers because I think to myself, what, what are you up to? Yeah. Now, there seems to be quite a lot of just good feeling towards Bielsa. I don't know whether it's because, you know, when people say, oh, imagine if Leeds get to the Premiership with Bielsa, or imagine if Bielsa does this with Leeds, or imagine if he's in the European Cup with Leeds. And the rest of it, I, I send... Uh, I think it's a bit. There's a bit of a side chat element to it. Like, let's not annoy him. Let's not. Let's not whine him. Let's not call him all the names under the sun. Yeah. Um, something that John Terry needs to like look at himself about. <laughs> but um, um, well, no, it's interesting because we're just going to swap places with Villa. I think so. Anyway, that's by the by. Um, and so um, yeah, I feel like there's a little bit of like let's not poke him with a stick too much because he might. He's got a reputation, which I think is actually wrong now that I've found out a bit more about him, that he's a bit flighty. Um, but I don't know if, as a player, I'd like my manager to come out and say, "Cool, tell you what, that genius that runs the other side, I want mine half playing for him. Yeah, you know what, and, and, and I think... Here's the thing with Bielsa, and here's, here's why he's, he's being showered with so much praise. Leeds have, have really put him on the map for European football. More so than Bilbao, mm. more so than Marseille, actually, I think. Um, mm. And look, the, an analogy that I think works quite well is um, growing up and living in England, um, I've got a bit of a penchant for Amaretti biscuits. Love the stuff. You've got a Can't stop myself eating them. They're, they're You've got a Amaretti biscuit. A penchant. Is that not a... A penchant? Yeah. I'm sorry, mate, I just thought... A penchant. Is that it? What was I that? tried to speak French. It didn't work. I like the taste of Amaretti biscuits. <laughs> <laughs> you got a penchant. I Lovely. Classic Lovely look, you know. But look, I, no, so, no, I like it. You, you've, you've, you've quoted Shakespeare. You've said penchant. What's next? I don't know, mate. I don't know what was in my tea this evening. Um, but I um, no. Amaretti biscuits. It seems. But um, I'd, I'd, <laughs> I'd get them every time I walked down the biscuit aisle. Now I thought they were the the, the most perfect biscuit ever made. <laughs> So I went over to Italy uh, on my honeymoon. Well, almond-based, you're having a laugh. <laughs> it's no Garibaldi. <laughs> <laughs> I went. Hey, mate, you're, I don't know what you're doing. No, right no, now. I'm, 
I mean, you've moved past the custard cream, you've blitzed past the digestive, <laughs> you've you've undermined the pink wafer, and you've gone straight to the Garibaldi. You, you, you're stuck. You, you're stuck in the concrete. I'm trying to give you an analogy here about Bielsa. Go on. So go on. Pink I wafer. I thought I knew Amaretti biscuits. <laughs> I thought that they right. were they were top notch. Um, the ones that I got from from Sainsbury supermarket. I then went over on my honeymoon to Italy, and <laughs> on the Amalfi Coast. I had an actual Amaretti biscuit, oh, yeah. and it blew my mind. It was the pure taste of Amaretti biscuits that the pretenders that I was buying were based upon. And what we're seeing is we're seeing really I had a very good similar, imitations. I had a very similar incident. We're seeing really good versions of the trailblazing style of football that Bielsa started with and continues to do. So when people interact with it, they see it at its purest form. And we know that sometimes things in their purest form, particularly with Bielsa, can be rigid and at times inflexible to a fault. But my word, when people have a taste of it, they want more of it. And and I think what they're seeing in Bielsa's style of football I can't imagine how many fans we won in that first half against Arsenal because there'd have been a lot of people watching that who weren't Arsenal fans and who weren't Leeds fans who saw for a, yeah. a brief moment the purity of Bielsa's style of football in which Klopp, in which Pochettino, in which Guardiola and managers like that have tried to base their style of football as well. So just like, you know, mm. we've been tasting those Amaretti biscuits from the supermarket shelves. Bielsa <laughs> offers that authentic taste from southern Italy. I've had a very similar incident. Um, when I was growing up, the battered sausages in the chippy around the corner from my mum's. Um, and, then, and then I had one from uh, Kirkstall Fisheries. And I was like, this is, a, this is the taste of the battered sausage. <laughs> and then the, the less I say about Savloy, the better. <laughs> But, we love uh, this conversation. Uh, we? I, yeah. I think we need to go back to. Tim. I understand what you're saying. <laughs> no, yeah, you, you've, you've done really well. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you what, I fancy an amaretti biscuit now and a battered sausage. <laughs> Still don't fancy a savoy though. No, well, okay, fair enough. Um, okay, good, lovely. Um, so, writing a biography about anybody um, is obviously a bit of a dicey affair. I mean, whether they are, whether it's official or unofficial or, or whatever. Um, Marcelo Bielsa is quite famous for having very little to do with, um, interviewers and journalists and biographers. Um, so I asked him whether he was aware that, whether he was writing his biography and whether he was forthcoming at all in the production of it. Um, and this is what he had to say. No, um, uh, Marcello Bielsa, as I said, there's been about five or six books written about Bielsa, and uh, no, he's not participated in any of them. Uh, he's aware the book was being written about him because that's, uh, I um, contacted Leeds United. But um, and I, I think um, he's not the sort of person, I think, who, um, who would contribute. I think he has a very... What I would like to see is Raphael, who is his brother, who is, who is a former foreign secretary of Argentina, who's a novelist and a poet and whatever. I think it would be very, very interesting if he wrote the history of the Bielsa family, taking all of them from his grandfather, who basically wrote the Argentine constitution, um, to his father and to um, 
the three the, the, the three of them and to write us to write the story of their lives because I think that would be fascinating and I think obviously Marcello would um, uh, contribute to that but no he's not a man who tends to um, uh, contribute over much uh, to a journalist and of course that's his that's his absolute right but I, I think if he does uh, write or contribute his own story it will be um, it will be fascinating. Marcelo didn't interact at all. I mean, that wasn't a surprise. I was. I'm just interested in in, the, in how writers function on, on that level. Um, again, you know, his family are really, you know, quite prestigious in in their fields of of work. Yeah, and and it, it's one of those things where I guess that's probably helped um, the biography come together because mm. they are a famous family in Argentina. I absolutely love the fact that his grandfather pretty much wrote the constitution. Um, and Well, because it boils down to that thing, doesn't it, of like, I am going to document the way in which these rules will be applied to absolutely. everyone so for us to have maximum happiness <laughs> yeah. and productivity. Yeah, I mean, we could do with him, couldn't we? I'd love to know what Marcello <laughs> Bielsa's plan minute, yeah. to, to uh, combat COVID-19 would be. Um, it, it'd probably involve running laps. Yeah, <laughs> it might it might involve picking up other people's litter, or washing other people's <laughs> hands. Hey, you like that? Oh yeah. Well, that's if you fall the fall down on the benevolent route. But you know the interesting thing about about this is that um, Bielsa again is completely and utterly wedded to an ideology. He even the way that he conducts press conferences in the UK, and that was what you know they thought that that would be one of the stumbling blocks to him coming over here and and taking charge of Leeds when, when word was starting to break that Bielsa might actually be coming to us was the fact that actually contractually he would have to speak to the press an awful lot more than in a lot of other leagues. And the Premiership will be a big shock to him in that and respect. And it, it, it will be, even more so than the Championship. But, but do you know you what? Know, what what I think about about when I think about that is there's still precedents that have been set for that. So do you remember when Alex Ferguson threw his toys out of the pram and he just stopped going down to speak yeah. to the press? Yeah. I can pretty much see Marcelo Bielsa doing the same thing. We're, we're not quite a... In not that kind of disgusted kind of way, but kind of just, you know, a couple of questions and I'll head off. And I think... I'd never think he'll speak in English, ever. No, and this is, this is the hilarious thing, because um, when he was when his translator slightly mistranslated the nuance of what he was saying, he corrected his translator's translation of what he'd said in Spanish. Yeah. He corrected him in English. So mm. Marcelo Bielsa clearly knows an awful lot more English than he gives away. And I think this whole press conference going on for an hour with very little said, the after-match um, immediate interview where he has the question spoken to him in English, translated into Spanish, he responds in Spanish, which is translated back into English and then said back, I think it's all part of his distancing from the press. So let me and, ask you this. And, and it's, all, it's all a specific strategy that he seems to be sticking to, down to the fact that you've got all these people writing biographies about him and no one, no one is able to get close to him. I think what you and I need to do, you know, when the oil money comes in for this podcast, <laughs> is we need to book tickets to Argentina and we need to have a word with Raphael and yeah. say, mate, now that you're no longer the Foreign Secretary of Argentina, you've got a bit of time on your hands, you're a novelist and a poet anyway, why don't you write a, a family history of the Bielsas? Let me ask you this then. Do you think he sees the press as an open enemy to what he's trying to do? 
I think he sees them as a distraction because if you think about what what Bielsa is all about, it's about control, isn't it? Mm. So if you look at the players that he he has, I think outside of Pablo Hernandez, most of the players have really rigid structures and controlled attacking and defending formations that they play and even down to the way that when you pass to this person here you move to this place and that allows Pablo Hernandez to do what Pablo Hernandez does but on the whole it's all about control and I think the moment his message is in the hands of somebody else they can interpret it translate it and present it in a way that is different to what he's used to look at the Spygate saga I think that whole press conference that he gave where he went through his whole system of this is the analysis that I do, this is why I I do it on this player, I'm showing you all of this stuff, is because when Spygate all kicked off, he'd lost control of the story and he'd lost control of what he wanted Mm. to say. And so for Mm. a, a brief window, we saw Marcelo Bielsa treat the press like he treated his players by mm. coaching them through, this is what I was actually doing and this is what I expected. And, mm. and I think that was really fascinating there. So I think maybe, you know, maybe he doesn't go down to a personal level of, of not liking the press or anything like that, but I think they, they sort of represent a loss of control. Yeah, I, 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 I tend to agree. Um, talking about control, um, the next question to Tim was an interesting one and, and it's... It was a difficult question because I was guess we're clutching at straws, but we, we wanted to know what Marcelo Bielsa does to relax, and I think we were both a little bit surprised by this answer. Mm. Um, Marcelo Bielsa is, is um, you would imagine, um, in these days when we're all in lockdown, wouldn't be short of things to do. His main methods of relaxation are reading, um, when he um, resigned as manager of Argentina in 2004 after taking them to the Olympic gold medal at the Athens Olympics, he, he retired to a monastery for several months and he didn't take a phone or um, much communication with the outside world. And he, he said, I read all the books I wanted to, I wanted to read or be mean to read. He's a voracious reader. His biggest interest is, is films. He's um, someone who, um, he says when he's off duty, when he's not working, which is not very often, obviously, he would get through two films a day. Um, and he's promoted uh, the work of uh, young South American directors who have um, adv- uh, often advised them. And a couple of them uh, who are quoting the book say that he would make a very good film director. He, he equates what a film director does with their cast of uh, of actors as to what he does with his squad, you know, drawing the very best um, performances out of them. So he's, he is someone, you know, and, you, and he obviously um, his uh, daughter Inez was a, was a very good hockey player. So he spent, he spent a lot of time, you know, when he, he had free time, uh, watching her play hockey, um, and he he also enjoys going out to eat. He's a, he's his mother was a tremendous cook, and he's always had a great interest in uh, cuisine. So he got quite he got quite a lot of things um, away from football. Although football, he it is it is his obsession. It's untrue to say that he has no other interest because he has actually um, quite a lot. I am absolutely delighted at that answer and I'll tell you why 
in terms of building bridges between who I am and who he is, I'm starting to understand mm. him a little bit more culturally, and I guess um, in term, like textually, like I'm starting to understand how he ticks. Um, yeah. F- film analysis. Uh, I read somewhere that he writes great long analysis of films and sends them to the directors or, of or, or the producers. Um, and I'm delighted to know that he goes out and eats because I think on some level he and I are like long lost relatives. <laughs> and I think you know I, I I often can't prize you away from monasteries. <laughs> right. You know right, if I've right, not right, heard right, from right. you for a few stop, days, stop, stop. Okay. Oh, he's, he's, Here's a feature. He's in the monastery again. Monastery watch. Who is no 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 you're laughing, but I as I understand it, um, Sam Allardyce as we speak right now is locked away in a monastery, <laughs> considering the very essence of what um, ontologically we consider you know what life is about. So I imagine him sitting there with a puck of pie and a pint of ale, um, um, just chewing loudly, <laughs> and and uh, just staring at a wall. Um, while um, while Warnock's in the cell opposite him, thinking about the ineffable likeness of yeah. being, yeah, and Pulis um, is just constantly waxing his cap. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, it's it's what we all do, isn't it? We go to a monastery. So you, you and, what and, you do is you win the World Cup, okay? <laughs> you win the World Cup, and obviously that brings about there's a really fantastic, and I'm going to deviate a tiny bit, but you'll like this. There's a really fantastic kind of syndrome that comes over um, artists. Um, and it's called anhedonia, and mm. it's kind of re- referenced in like the Hamlet kind of story of of this idea of like when you are getting exactly what you want, when you have exactly what you need, you are the you are the lowest of the low. When you yeah. get the thing that is meant to make you as happy as possible, you sink to your lowest possible point. And so you win the World Cup of Argentina playing incredible football. The, um, the 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 Olympics, the Olympics. Sorry, sorry. You win the Olympics playing incredible football, um, and then you retire to a monastery to read the books you've been meaning to catch up on. And I'm assuming <laughs> he doesn't mean Jackie Collins. I'm assuming <laughs> I'm assuming he may he may be referencing you know some medieval texts. He may even you know some 19th century kind of like you know French poetry. He could be re- it, referencing some kind of like, like magic realism that that he kind of needs to catch up on. His it kind might of just be a book full of city codes. It might be. I imagine if I'm gonna, if I went out on a limb, I imagine that he is a big fan of um, again kind of magic realist. Where things aren't quite as they're supposed to be, but they absolutely are at the same time. I imagine that he is a big fan of... Oh, let's not do that. I'm about to make up a list of about 50 authors that he likes. But, um, yeah. He's not, I bet what we're saying is he's not reading Fifty Shades. <laughs> Fifty Shades In to a God. monastery. <laughs> no. Um, I imagine he's, 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 he's sitting there contemplating the big things in life. Which is why... I desperately, desperately want to speak to him and say to him, Marcelo, what do you think about when you think? That's all I want to know. When you think about things, what are you, what is the core of your belief? Because yeah. that quiet contemplation is not madness, is it? It's not craziness. It's that sense of, I feel like he knows something we don't. Or, or, or what he is, is he's wedded to an ideology. And actually, he doesn't seem to be bound by too much social convention. But we go back to the fact that actually he is from an established family who 
and, and probably with that established family name that he has, and with the profession that he's in, and with the money that he's earned, he has a certain level of freedom to be completely himself mm. that maybe other people wouldn't necessarily subscribe to. Um, See, that's interesting be because to. he that speaks openly against this idea of like fighting for the common man because actually he doesn't have a common man's life at all i can't go to a monastery and consider you know whether i'm living in this artifice and i'm not really here because i don't have any external proof of my feelings as to why i'm here i can't can't do all that he's done that you know and i'm I'm a common man listen if you're looking for a common man you have to look pretty bloody hard to find someone you know past me so um (laughs) you know it's it is interesting because I think he would declare that he is, you know, part of, you know, the the common people, you know. Um, one thing that's really interesting is this, is I've got some quotations from um, Marcelo Bielsa and it does kind of like link in with that idea of going away and trying to find yourself. And he talks about a lot about possibility. He talks about the possibility of doing things and he talks about the possible is already done. We are doing the impossible. How does that relate to him at Leeds? Well, Leeds is the impossible job, isn't it? And where Leeds, do you think he knew that? I think he's been surprised by how impossible Mm. it it seemingly was. I think I've been surprised by impossible. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I take I take comfort from the fact that you've been quite um, adamant that from the start of Bielsa coming in that it's it's a two year plan. And we're yeah. midway through that that two year plan, and and the derby game was an aberration. But you know, Bielsa was always going to stay. It was part of a two year growth plan. So that when we get to the Premiership, we'll be we'll be hey, 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 um, hey. well set up and all of that. And I, a I think, man, a man with new ideas is a madman until his ideas triumph. Well, and and this is this is going back to that whole idea of um, him being ahead of his time. There are mm. loads of people who could be classed as ahead of their time, but their ideas never triumph. But Bielsa's ideas have, and they are at Leeds. I think he's come at the right time with the right owner as well. Yeah. Radziani seems to have quite bold plans for Leeds. You know, the finances have just come out. We've got record turnover, but we've also got record spend. And what do you make you of know, that? Because some people are taking it one way, some people take it another. I think I don't, for me, I don't think we know. I don't think as the average fan we know enough about this sort of stuff, and we don't know enough. There's only one headline that bothers. There's only one. Yeah, there's only one headline that bothers me, and that's you know, how, how do we fit into the FFP, and we're we going to get taken to court anytime soon? And, and the answer the seems cl- to be the, no. Yeah, and and so, but but what it what it means is that that Bielsa has come in at a time where we've got probably one of the most progressive and well-connected managers in terms of world... Uh, uh, not managers, um, owners in world football. Um, Radziani, he, he knows what he's doing, and he he is a high achiever himself. And so I think Bielsa and Radziani quiz. together... Sorry. He, I'm, I was just going to say, you know, like he took what what looks like a sinking ship and he, he's put 17 million of his own quid into it to make sure the book's balanced. You know, it's like... Yeah. I don't understand this negativity behind him. I mean, especially when you think about some of the shite that we've had owning the club. Oh. They've tried their best to kind of like... Pro- like oh, feels like he's been privatised to hell, you know. It's like they've broken it up into a thousand little bits and tried to sell off every little bit. And what he's yeah. done is he's, he's handed it back to us bit by bit. And I've got no yeah. doubt in the future he will literally hand it back to us. I'm sure he'll take the profits he deserves. But I think he'll hand it back to us and say, 
I've rescued your club. Well, he has, and and like even if he left now, mm. um, I, I I would find it really really hard to find many negative things to say about how he's run the club. Mm. You know, he was a breath of fresh air and professionalism after Cellino, the mob boss. Um, we obviously had Ken Bates, but then there was the whole GFH or GFK debacle as well, in which, in the end, one of the directors ended up in a prison in the Middle East. You know, it, it's, it was all madness. Yeah. We didn't know who owned us, you know, all of this sort of stuff. Then, obviously, kind of before that, we had... Um, hold on while I just vomit slightly into my mouth. Ridsdale. Um, you know, what he has brought... Is that his is, middle um, name? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Peter, let me vomit in my mouth, Ridsdale. But but it, it was uh, let me vomit into the fish tank. But um, he he's brought a level of sleek professionalism, and he's brought Bielsa. And so I think those things combined have shown that that actually we're on the right track. But I think both of them have realised my word: the championship is a hard, hard league to get out of. And that's a really apt point to pick up on because one of the things I asked Tim next was why do you think that Marcelo Bielsa hasn't gone to one of the bigger clubs in the world? I mean, Leeds is a big club. Um, we we would say that, wouldn't we? But mm. um, the Championship isn't the most luxurious league in the world. You know, it's a bit grim on a Tuesday night when you've got to go down to Luton and try and knock out three points. Mm. Um so why is Marcelo Bielsa, one of the most respected managers in the world, not gone to one of the world's biggest clubs? The question of why um, Marcelo Bielsa has never been to a truly big club is, is, is a fascinating one. Um, he has never, for instance, managed in um, the Champions League. And when you think of all the pretty ordinary managers who at least had one game or two games of Champions League football, the fact that he that the fact he, he's never he's never participated it seems seems it seems absolutely um, extraordinary. Um, he he the nearest he got was in about twenty ten, when uh, he had just finished uh, as manager of Chile, and Massimo Moratti, uh, who uh, was the owner and the president of Inter Milan, was interested in bringing him to the San Siro. And uh, um, Zanetti and uh, Cambiasso, who were two uh, players who had played for Argentina under Bielsa, were Inter Milan and were big advocates of Bielsa to, you know, bring, to bring Bielsa to Inter. Um, who were then European champions. I mean, uh, Jose Mourinho had just left them to manage Real Madrid. And um, they were, and, and someone like Bielsa would have been a real shot to the system. Um, Marathi decided to appoint Rafa Benitez, which was a disastrous choice. Um, Benitez lasted only a few months um, before uh, being sacked. And Inter have since sort of drifted away from the uh, centre of European football. It would have been a fascinating time to have seen him, to have seen him, you know, really at an enormous club. But I think... I think if you if you study um, Bielsa, what really attracts him to clubs are those clubs that are a little bit down on their luck, who had been great 
I might be great again, um, like um, Athletic Bilbao, like uh, Marseille, and of course, like Leeds United. One thing he does appreciate, has always appreciate, are clubs that have passionate fans. And in um, in Spain, Bilbao are known for the passion of their supporters. Olympique Marseille are the Newcastle of uh, the of, of of French football, and of course, anyone who has been to Elland Road in the past season and two thirds couldn't fail to be captivated by the sheer noise sound of the crowd. Um, when um, towards the end of last season. Sheffield Wednesday were beaten 1-0 by Leeds, a performance that deserved far more than just a 1-0 win. Steve Bruce said he, he, this is about the 8th or ninth different club he had taken um, to Ellen Road, and of course he played there with uh, Manchester United, and he said he had never seen a more absolutely intimidating atmosphere than the one that was displayed that afternoon. So... You know, I, I don't think he now will um, manage a, a Barcelona or Manchester United. I think the other, the, other, the other thing also that would count against him is he demands a great deal of his players. And if you are a player at Leeds United or, or Bilbao who want trophies, who want promotion or whatever, you're probably prepared, going to give him that benefit of the doubt. If you are a multi-millionaire uh, footballer um, who is used to a good life, then you probably won't um, welcome Marcello Bielsa. When he was uh, manager of a club called Velasarsfield in, in Buenos Aires, he uh, won them the title. But they had already won the um, a load of trophies under a, a very relaxed former manager called Car- Carlos Bianchi. And they were they 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 were used to very easy training sessions, and they revolted against them. And he had a very very hard time there. So I think to answer your question, that's probably why we won't see uh, Marcello Bielsa at one of the the Bayern Munichs or the uh, Real Madrids. Now that's a really interesting response because I mean it just doesn't make any sense to me as to how. The manager's manager, the guy in the in the world who everyone rates as being, you know, almost like a um, cornerstone of a way of playing football that people find interesting, people find exciting, fans want to see, and if executed perfectly with the right kind of like financial backing, is the best way of playing the game or one of the best ways of playing the game. So, you know, I went to Marseille a few years ago, and one thing I would say to you is, um, I didn't don't really know much about the place. But the way it's positioned, you know, geographically, you know, it's kind of like a, a gateway to Africa and mm. the, the culture there. It, it felt spicy when you were there. You always felt like, you know, it, it's not it's, it's glamorous in an unglamorous kind of way. And, and it yeah. did remind me of one of our northern cities, to be honest with you. I mean, obviously, the weather was slightly better, but um, yeah. uh, it was it, it, it was an incredible place where. Um, just a mixture of cultures and it had a rawness about it, which I think is interesting that he goes to these places and kind of like tidies them up and makes them professional. I, I think, I, I, and and this sort of goes against what I was saying about his character, but he does seem to really value the underdog and he seems to value teams that have huge potential. And I wonder if, if part of Bielsa's mentality is to take that which is either broken 
or that which has not realized its potential and to exponentially increase it more than somebody else. And so what you, you could say about Guardiola is that he's very, very good at buying very expensive players and getting them to play good football. Mm. Which is a difficult skill. Yeah, absolutely. But it's a very yes, different not, skill. Not a lot of people can do it. No, and it's a very different skill to... Uh, and Mourinho at his peak was able to do that. Mm. But what I would say is uh, Marcelo Bielsa clearly is able to see diamonds in the rough. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to mention his name again, Stuart Dallas. He saw Stuart Dallas as a player who not only could do a job, but be- could, could become, in some ways, a fulcrum to the team. He saw in Calvin Phillips, not a box-to-box midfielder, popping up and scoring goals here and there, but the championship's best central defensive midfielder who could potentially play for England. You know, he he saw these things and was able to bring exponential improvement. So if he was going to a club that had a level of player like Pogba, a, a level of player like Cristiano Ronaldo even, and, and, and people like that, he'd probably be at the, be at the sidelines shouting at, the, at them for not tracking back and things like that. So I don't think they would get on with him and I don't think he would get on with them. And also, mm. I don't think the big owners of the big clubs would be happy to hand over as much control to him as the teams that he has been to. And, and, and I think the clubs where he's only lasted a little while have been when the owners have suddenly realised, oh, he was serious about wanting X, Y and Z. Mm. And and when he's realised that they weren't actually willing to give it him, he walked, he went, because they mm. broke the terms of the contract. And so it, it's one of those things where I, I agree, unfortunately, with Tim Rich, that, that I don't think that he will go and, and manage a top, top club, because I think, although his name will have been mentioned at Man United, although his name will have been mentioned at Real Madrid or um, They've also Juventus, not chosen him. They, they've not chosen 50. him. Yeah. Because They're not he, willing. He, he, yeah, and, and he presents too much of a risk, I think. Um, because actually, again, he's an ideologue. He's a mm. purist. Um, and, and so it's it's nice to sort of come into contact with that and reference it, but at the same time, maybe not at your club directly. So all the more credit to Radziani, to Orta, yeah. to Angus Kinnear as well, for not only sealing the deal... But for creating an environment in which Bielsa stayed for an extra season to see if he could get yeah. promoted. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think you know at this point here, I really feel like we're filling out like what we know about him. I feel I feel like I know him better now than I ever have. I feel like I found out new information, but also information that enriches some of my ideas about who he is. Yeah. Um, at this point here, I, I asked him, what was the most surprising thing that you learned about Marcelo Bielsa from writing his biography? Um, the most surprising thing I've learned about Marcelo Bielsa is he is very interested in uh, in money. <laughs> and he is, for example, he, when he became manager of Chile, he, he trebled, he was paid three times the amount of his predecessor. He's the highest paid manager in the uh, championship by a very long way. But, this is a big but, it's what he does with his money. He's not not that interested in money for himself. He likes to spread it around. Um, for example, the ink, the um, salary he draws are the, is a salary for his whole backroom staff. Um, he, um, he, he, for example, 
contributed millions of dollars uh, when he was a manager of, of Leeds um, to building a um, hotel, a, an accommodation centre for the players at Newell's Old Boys, which he um, he named after his mentor, was a, a, an eight-year-old guy called Jorge Griffa. Um, and he, he stipulated that he didn't want any part of his donation to be made public. Of course, there's absolutely no chance of that, in, 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 you know, given how famous he was, or is in Argentina. Um, so so he's he got this twin track approach to money in that he, he demands quite a lot of it, and then he just essentially gives a lot of it away. Um, and... Um, um, <laughs> and uh, you know he always drives very modest cars. For example, you know um, certainly when in South America, people were surprised that he would he would he would turn up in not a massive BMW but a Nissan. Um, so that that's really the most surprising thing I um I found out about him. What do you make of that? I'm surprised and not surprised. I mean, I remember thinking at the time that when we found out that he was the most expensive manager that we've ever mm. had. I was thinking, well, yeah, he's got a high caliber, but mm, that that's I I I am not going to be afraid to admit that I thought that was a little bit iffy at, at the beginning. Yeah. Um and I thought when I found out that a lot of it was about backroom staff, I thought that's just pure ego. Yeah. Um obviously willing to admit I was wrong. Um because I think, you know, he's you know, as we hear a little bit later, he's he's willing to uh to give the lot of it away. And and I think I think that that's again. How much do you reckon him. a monastery charges to stay there? <laughs> Airbnb monastery. I, I think you've got to step away from the monasteries thing. I think do you reckon they give obsessed. you the, in the you know like I'm imagining that you have like a, a brown kind of like dressing gown. Do you reckon they leave that on the end of the bed? That's free. Or <laughs> I think you need to go. Free? I, think, I think you need to go and visit a, a monastery in Argentina just just to experience it to get get in the mindset of Bielsa but I think for, for me what's really interesting is um, he's establishing complete control again yeah. he has his backroom staff because they help him work in the way that he works and down to the point where he controls their salary so mm. he gets what he gets and they get what they get out of what he gets so they're more what than do you, an entourage what do you make of him building that, that big thing um as I understand it, he's not been back to Newell's for mm. many, many years, and yet he builds a multi-million pound structure and names yeah. it after his kind of like mentor. So here's the thing. Whenever Newell's Old Boys comes up, I feel a little bit like when my wife talks about her first boyfriend. <laughs> now, I know that she's with me now. Yeah, but, but when you were a little girl personal. growing up in yeah, go on. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, and and so I think the 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 jealousy that I feel about Newell's Old Boys is that I think in some ways we will never be able to replace Newell's Old Boys. They are clearly his first love. Uh, they are clearly his. Uh, you know, he well. he still holds a candle for them, and and I think for me. Um, and that's where I hope the analogy breaks down with my wife, really. Um, but but it, what for me, what what comes out is that. I think he's got a growing appreciation for Leeds, and I think there may well be an occasion in the future, once Bielsa is as as left us, where something will happen that will have Bielsa's name on it in Leeds that will come from Bielsa. Um, I think there'll be a statue. I, I, listen, I think we'll give him a statue, and I think he'll give us a Thorparch 
will be the yeah. Marcelo Bielsa training ground. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but but I think what Bielsa will give us is he he will give us basically like either the finances or or, or the plans because his wife's an architect for you know a state of the art training you know whatever it is on on the Matthew Murray ground. But but I think what I make of that is that this is a man who who is intensely loyal to his first club. And and they will always be the, the, the first in his heart. Now, I think we have come to the point where we might have sort of leapfrogged some of his other clubs to maybe come in a second place. I get the sense that he's got a real love and passion for the city. For um, me, it's about legacy now. It, it depends yeah. what we do. It depends what we do because I think what what Leeds are going to do is we're going to take him to the next level. Yeah. And And the next level is not going to a monastery and it's not winning the Olympics and it's not being respected by other managers. The next level is that kind of superficial level of he's going to get us promoted to the premiership and make us finish in the top six and he's probably going to spend just a few million quid to help make that happen. Um, yeah, and that few million quid will be to extend Alioski's deal. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and I, th- I think Leeds United are going to take Marcelo Bielsa's story to the next level just, just by... By incident, really, just just by the fact that he's just caught us on that trajectory and pushed us, and I think yeah. we're going to be top six. Incidentally, playing FIFA earlier and uh, played out the twenty-one uh, league. You'll be happy to know we're up in the Premiership. Obviously, we finished twelfth, and this is going to break your heart. This is going to break your heart. Um, we were beating the Man United. We were beating the Chelsea's. We were losing to the Bournemouths. So, yeah, but they're yeah, already so, how. Yeah, we also lost to Watford. Oh, right. So, okay. well, that's a separate thing, isn't <laughs> but it? I'll be happy with 12th. But no, I think what's going to happen is Bielsa is going to take us to Europe, and then it will be the manager that took the 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 sleeping giant to how many places will it be? Forty five places up the up the league. Yeah, you know, now, or whatever, and say here we go. That, that's where we are. Well, regardless of what happens, even if this league is cancelled, and and I, I don't want to go into this too much, but even if it the league be. is made null and void, it won't be. Uh, if, but, if, if 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 this if this league is cancelled, right? I tell you now, if this league is cancelled, I'm never watching football again. I'm burning all my lead shirts. And if someone talks about football, I'm just going to undo my trousers and urinate all over their shoes. And yeah. and if their kids are nearby, I'll do it on them too. <laughs> and and then retire and, to a monastery. And, and then I'm going to retire to a monastery and read all of Jackie Collins' back catalogue. <laughs> <laughs> well, because it, it it can't be voided. It, it, the thing is, it, it can't be voided this season for for the for the for the reason I hate, which is people won't get their money. Yeah, people I know, I know. Money. But what I'm saying is that even if it is, even if the unthinkable happens and, and you get My arrested, trousers are undone. My trousers are undone. Yeah, Stop well, talking. You know, even if you end up getting arrested on a public order offence... Um, okay, they're back up. They're back up. They're and, up. and Bielsa leaves us and we're still in the championship. <laughs> he will still leave having a very strong legacy at Leeds. Now, he can take us to that next level and, and get into... The almost the the Wilkinson Reevy sort of levels, um, and 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 if he gets us promoted, he will he will sit within that pantheon. I think. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Um, that that is a lovely segue. It's almost like you know, onto mm. the impossible question I asked Tim, which was, what do you think the future holds for Bielsa, and what do you think the future holds for Leeds, and both of them together, I guess, in a in a romantic way. 
Well, it's very difficult to think about the future um, now with a country and indeed a, a world in, in, in lockdown against a virus. Um, I, was, I was surprised he, he stayed the second season at Ellen Road, actually. Um, I think when, when he walked into the press conference um, after that uh, 4-2 defeat to Derby, I think a lot of us thought he was going to resign. Um, he's someone who doesn't um, seek to blame other people for um, reverses. Um, I think he, he, he takes a lot of it on his own shoulders. Um, but he's, he's someone who also honours contracts. You know, his, his grandfather was, was the most famous lawyer in Argentina. So he's got a great respect for contracts. Um, if this season pans out, if this season restarts... And Leeds United are promoted. Um, and I think their performances this season have been more impressive than last season because they had that awful disappointment of the whole collapse of the last th- third. You know, the, 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 the real... You know, they, they, they should have gone up as champions. They, they didn't even make the playoff final. And I think another team might have collapsed completely and I think I think the second the second season under under Bielsa has been um has been more impressive actually than the, than the first one now I hope and I, I I'm not a Leeds United fan but I hope they go up I think everyone in football hopes Leeds go up a because Leeds are one of the great clubs of English football. Even without Bielsa, you would want Leeds in the um, in the Premier League. Manchester United fans would want Leeds in the Premier League. Liverpool fans would want Leeds in the Premier League. To have Leeds in the Premier League with Marcello Bielsa would be something else. It would re- There have been a lot of very average foreign managers in the Premier League. Bielsa is absolutely not average. He is one of the most remarkable football people that we've seen um, in, in our generation. And I I think they would absolutely energise uh, Yorkshire football. Um, can, you know, can they get up? You know, well, they're certainly good enough. You know, they'll certainly be well trained enough. Um, but right now... Um, Right now, um, with with the country the way it is, with with football the way it is, football right now seems, I suppose, an irrelevance. Um, and I think even someone like Bielsa, who is obsessed by football, would say it's an irrelevance at the moment. But you know, I think we can only hope that the season is completed. In any way, it can be completed, and that Leeds United, I think they will be promoted. I think had we not had um, the the pandemic. I think Leeds would have gone up. I don't think the chasing pack uh, this year are quite the force they were last time when you had Derby and and, uh, and a very very good Sheffield United team. But uh, but we can we can only hope. So it's Tim feels positive that we will probably go up. You know, again, I don't like talking ifs, buts, and maybes. You know. I think the season will finish eventually, whenever that is. If we kick off in August, then so be it. If it's behind closed doors, so be it. You know, lots of debate on Twitter at the minute about is that good, is that bad? Yeah, we won't get into that. Um, so to round off our conversation with uh, with Tim, a really fascinating conversation. To round it off, uh, I said to him, can you tell me about one event or situation 
from the, the whole time you're writing the biography in which it really sticks in your mind as being a fitting summary of Bielsa. What, what one moment do you think really sticks out in your memory that you think sums him up as a man? Um, there are many, many anecdotes um, all about um, uh, Bielsa. And um, like, uh, um, I think, uh, like the first one, like, uh, again, concerns money and his, and his willingness just to give it away. When he was starting out at, um, at Newell's Old Boys as one of his uh, teammates, he was building a house, um, but he'd run out of money. And the wages that they, you know, that they were paid in 1978 or, or whatever, 79, whatever it was, was just simply wasn't enough for this lad to, to, to finish what was a very modest house or put a roof on. And Bielsa, who was his teammate playing central defence, went over to him and said, look, half my wages, half my money. You know, pay me back when you can. And, and the guy said, well, we, you know, he knew that, that Bielsa wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't want the money back. Um, there is that, you know. I think that's, that, sums, that sums up the man. He is, you know, it's not, not just an act with him. It's something that's been with him all his life, this sense of... This sense of uh, fair play and the sense that um, if if he can do something to make a difference in that awful word, make a difference in American word, he will do it. And um, I, I think he's, he's carried on with that kind of attitude for the rest of his uh, football career. And I think that story particularly about him helping his teammate build the house is quite a fitting end to the interview in some ways because I think that's what Bielsa's actually doing at Leeds he's helping us build the house um, but um, I, mm. I think he is and he's a part of that and whether or not he's doing it as part of making the machine more efficient or whether he is truly benevolent in trying to make our players better human beings and all of that sort of stuff he is being hugely successful and this is a golden period to be a Leeds United fan. You and I have often spoken about how back in the day we were so inconsistent as a team. We didn't know what sort of team was going to turn up. We didn't know which players would be playing in which position. And we didn't know whether we'd win by loads, draw in a dour sort of way or lose terribly. And with Bielsa, he's not only sort of built a squad, a club and a level of predictability. What Bielsa's brought is he's brought a level of expectation and an understanding that even when we lose we play well and I think speaking to Tim has confirmed to both of us actually how good we are under Bielsa and so stories of his generosity stories of that you know support for fellow teammates and all of those things I think are really fitting tributes to a man who has transformed and sort of helped start again in some ways the Leeds United project lots of people have tried many have failed he has been the spark I think that has has got us really firing yeah absolutely absolutely I, I, I won't I won't postulate on that further I think that's a really great summary um so thank you, Tim. That was incredible. We mm. we learned so much. It was such a fantastic interview. Um, 
and it just really helped us to fill out the personality and the kind of I guess the um the persona behind closed doors that is Marcelo Bielsa we we will never have all the answers we want but I feel like we're inching closer so as part of our investigation into Bielsa um, I was looking for a South American voice and we were really fortunate to find Andrea D'Amelio who has written a book about Bielsa called Los Locos and Loco, the craziest of the crazy. I put some questions to her and she gave me some really great answers. Now Andrea's English isn't too fantastic so her answers are quite fragmented but I think they add something to the discussion and really really fascinating insights into the man himself. The first question I asked was, can you tell us what your book is about and why did you write it? I admired Bielsa from a long time ago. I have always thought it was necessary to write something different about him and it came. Up to me to think about his fans, I believe that he is the only coach with his own fans to support. The book is about fans of different countries uh, through those histories, uh, something about Bielsa. The second question I asked was, why do you think Bielsa came to Leeds United in the first place? And do you think he sees something in Leeds that relates to his past? I believe that he liked by the project the change that he was proposed. On the other side, I also believe that it's attractive to work in the English football, a pioneer of the sport. I asked her how closely do people in South America or Argentina follow Leeds United? Leeds already had fans in different countries of Latin America, just by naming some cases, Argentina and Uruguay for sure. But in Argentina and Chile, it became bigger with Bielsa arrival. People that follow Bielsa follow every single one of the teams where he works that work now they follow Leeds. I asked how does Bielsa's politics play a part in his character or image? In Argentina Marcelo nunca se pronunció a favor de de ningún in Argentina, Marcelo never spoke in favor of uh, any political party. His brothers always has been linked to the peronismo, but Marcelo never uh, took a part of, of that. The next question was, what do you think is the future for Bielsa in England and do you see him returning to South America? Creo que es muy bueno el trabajo que está realizando en Leeds. Uh, I believe that his work in Leeds is very good and that it would be great if he promoted uh, to the Premier. If it happens, I think he can stay a little longer. It's difficult, uh, but I think that if he returns uh, to Argentina, the only place with... Um, Pioneer is uh, Newell's old voice from Rosario, his love. Uh, 
He's one of the best. Marcelo uh, Archie to the creed, his own style, he's charismatic. And finally, do you think he's the greatest manager of all time? Para mí, es de los mejores técnicos. He's one of the best. Marcelo achieved to create his own style. He's charismatic, charismatic, sorry, and poor. His players, his fans love him, transcends border and has fans all around the world. So a really useful interview there. Um, not lots and lots of detail, but I think a few things to kind of really dig into. Um, Andrea was absolutely fantastic, and she left us with this message. Yo soy Leeds, luego existo, con amor desde Argentina. Vamos Leeds, carajo. Which means, thank you, I Leeds, therefore I am, with love from Argentina. And we all recognise, vamos Leeds, carajo. Fantastic. Thank you, Andrea. That was a complicated interview, let's just say that. Um, Andrea was fantastic. She was phenomenal. I, I threw questions at her and she did her, her very best to um, give us the English translation um, of, of what those questions meant. One thing stuck out to me, which I know you'll be interested in, is mm. this idea of um, Marcelo Bielsa is the only manager in the world, I think, who has supporters. <laughs> he has people that <laughs> follow him from team to team. And then... Mm those people follow that team. So Leeds yeah. United, I think, are a big deal in South America. And, and I think Leeds United are a big deal and getting bigger as a deal, I think, is really important. And Bielsa will help us with this. So I think for us to break into the top six of the Premiership and for us to stay there and for us to really realise the potential that we have as a truly international side, as you know, one of the big international clubs, that we used to be, and we sort of fallen out of that um, of that that sort of realm in in the last sort of decade and a bit. But you know, I think Bielsa is going to be really important in that because what he will do is he'll open up new fan bases. So I wouldn't be surprised that if Bielsa, for example, stays with us for a couple of seasons in the Premiership and we and he's able to take us on a bit of a European run. Imagine that. But mm. then imagine the people who follow Bielsa at the moment, they will then begin to support Leeds and their children may well begin to support Leeds. So they'll have their local teams, but their international side will be Leeds. Mm. And we know we've got a huge Scandinavian following. We know that we've got huge followings you know, in Ireland um, and we've we've got good followings all around the world. But I think this is a really crucial period. If we get promoted and get promoted with Bielsa to really maximise that global appeal, the, the fact that we already sell more shirts than most of the Premiership clubs, Absolutely. that means that that'll take us to a different level. We will be able to then command such high quality sponsorship will be able to command such high quality um, infrastructure and deals and we will truly be at the top table mm. so again and, and, the, and the sad fact of this is we've talked about why is Bielsa never managed one of the truly top clubs it may well be that we become one of the truly top clubs based on the foundations that he sets but not with him directly with us Yeah, I but think I think we would harken right. back to this time and say that truly started under Radziani and the Piazza. Yeah.